Hi, Bali. Welcome to Eleven Questions. Thank you for having me. I want to start by asking, do you prefer cha or coffee? Oh, cha. <laughs> kind of yeah. knew it. Yeah, yeah, I know that's a no-brainer. <laughs> What's your favorite place in the entire world? Probably a library. I don't like know that. the big library, yeah, but just I, 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 I'm lucky. I live in a country that has a has a really excellent um public library system. So every time I walk into the library, it just it feels like I'm coming home. What's something that you are most proud of in your life? I think just saying yes to lots of things that that scared me, um, and and kind of pushing myself out of my comfort zone quite a bit, um, and you know doing things that were were hard, <laughs> like like you know it, that, that that I knew in the long run would be good but seemed scary at the outset, like having a child, <laughs> <laughs> like traveling to some of the places that I've been to or moving moving countries, um, yeah, so not kind of succumbing to the the fear of the unknown. And what would you say has been the biggest challenge that you overcame? I guess in in adulthood, the biggest challenge that I overcame was the juggling of responsibilities. When I was writing Shergill Sisters, I had also started a PhD program and had also just had a baby, so I was trying to juggle all those things. And I and in hindsight, I didn't you know a lot of that came at the cost of my mental health, and I probably <laughs> could have taken it a lot slower. But I I felt I just I just felt like I needed to do everything. And to kind of keep moving, so that was a very challenging thing to overcome. And if I could do it again, I, I probably would have taken it much slower. I, I don't think there's anything to be too proud about in kind of saying, "Oh, I, I, I did all the things," and, you know, <laughs> it was really, really hard, but I did it. But you know, at what cost? Like it was, it was really exhausting. Yeah, I but can relate I, to that. Even though I'm also learning that it's okay to say no and not do everything, but I'm also that kind of person who takes on too much, and later I'm like, "Oh, I have no time." I'm yeah. just drowning in everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, conversely, like I feel like when I say no to lots of things, and there are all these gaps in my schedule, and I'm like, oh no, I'm not doing anything. So exactly, kind of I was just talking to someone the other day where I was like, I look at my weekend. If my calendar is free, I tend to just start filling things in, and then by Monday, I'm like, I did not get time for rest. <laughs> yeah. I think it might just be the the nature of the the world that we live in and the the kind of the capitalist society that we we all live in, where you you feel like you need to be busy all the time, you feel like you need to be producing all the time. Um, otherwise, you know, you don't have value. Which I think the pandemic taught me that that isn't necessarily true. <laughs> there was still a lot of conversation about the fact that everyone was like, "Oh no, but I have to, I'm just busy, I have to keep doing things." Um, and that that was a real epiphany for me. Yeah, I could not agree more with that. And since you are known for being a writer, I'm gonna ask an alternate scenario. If you could not be a writer, what else would you be? So I was a high school teacher while I was writing my first two novels. I actually had just started teaching in the international school system, so I moved to I moved to Turkey um, around the time when I was completing erotic stories for Punjabi widows. You know, after, after I, I signed that book contract with HarperCollins, then. I needed to leave teaching to be able to write the follow-up book. I think that if I weren't writing, I yeah, I would definitely be a, a high school English teacher in the international school system. And all the creativity and all the things that you know you put into writing, you put into teaching as well. So yeah, I think it would yeah be a really really fun life actually, just you know traveling <laughs> and moving to different different countries and yeah. Yeah, the traveling part definitely sounds great. Yeah. 
What's your uh, writing routine like? How often do you write? It, it depends on what else I have going on. I try to write every day. I feel like even when I'm not necessarily working on the draft, I'm still, if, if there's a work in progress, then it's still on my mind. So in that way, I'm still kind of thinking about it. I'm still kind of like adding to it. I'm still kind of reviewing it. And so, yeah, I would say I, I, I write every day. Um, when I do have long, like, expanses of time to just write, then I try to start the day with writing. So I find that after lunchtime, everything goes a bit downhill. <laughs> I get a bit sleepy. <laughs> My motivation goes down after lunch. So I try to get it out of the way in the morning. But when I have other things, like, cause I also lecture at a university. So, like, on the days that I have, you know, a busier schedule, like meeting with students or, or lecturing, then uh, I tend to give myself a bit of a break from writing. And where do you find inspiration for your stories? Um, usually things that I see that I consider unfair or things that I experience, but even experiences that I've had with injustice, I think, or observations that I've had of inequality in some way. That usually is the thing that sparks, sparks a story or sparks a, a kind of an idea for a character. What's the best praise that you have gotten so far for your writings? The best praise is when someone who has lived a similar life to the characters in your book tells you that you got it right or that you, it resonated deeply with them because they felt seen or they felt heard. I think that's, yeah, that, that that's better than a, you know, a starred review or something. Then you feel like, okay, I've really connected with, with someone that this story, you know, really matters to. And do you remember any funny or ridiculous criticism you have gotten so far? Well, okay, I have gotten just, like, I've heard, I, I'm not directly to me, but, like, I, a friend of mine told me that a Punjabi guy that she knows said that it's really disgraceful that I'm writing about the, <laughs> like, I'm writing erotic stories that, are like, that, that shouldn't be on the cover, that erotic shouldn't be in the same sentence as Punjabi. How dare, but, how dare Punjabi yeah. women have any of those things? <laughs> Yeah, and and yeah, but it was really interesting because that's exactly what the novel is about. Like he pretty much, <laughs> pretty much summed up what the novel is about. It's about men. That's saying, praise you know, in a way, right? In a way, it's yeah. also praise. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't really see. I mean, I knew the title was kind of provocative, but I didn't really think of the title as something that would sort of recreate the story. <laughs> you know, like people, men would pick some, some men would pick it up and go, "Oh gosh, no, I can't." You know. <laughs> deal with it. So, yeah, exactly. Oh, I, this reminds me of a funny thing. When I first read your book, Erotic Stories, I lent it to a friend of mine and we were talking about the book and her husband walks in and he goes like, which book are you talking about? I couldn't remember the entire title right now. Uh, I was like, oh, the Erotic Stories one. Like, the look on his face was <laughs> just precious. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because it's, um, I, I, I mean, I knew it would maybe get little bit of a reaction, but I didn't expect people to be so kind of put off by it or so like to react so strongly to it. I think the word erotic alone kind of is scandalous for men in our community. Like the fact that so I'm Punjabi, my friend is also Punjabi. It's like a Punjabi group. The fact he thought we are probably reading porn or something, yeah. like that showed on his face and then when he probably read the entire title, that would be even more scandalous. Like, how dare somebody put Punjabi and erotic together? <laughs> and widows. No. <laughs> so much, so much happening in just like those five words. Well, good. That's the reaction we want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you were to be deserted on an island, which three books would you take with you? Oh, man. 
that's so hard I can use my screen. I would say The God of Small Things would definitely be one on the list because I think you can read that book over and over again. You can find poetry in it. You can read it from back to front. <laughs> you can always you can find something in it. I'd probably pick something like kind of a comfort read from childhood, like a Judy Bloom book. Like, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. <laughs> that was a really nice comfort. Like, her books are really comforting to me when I was uh, a kid. And a third book, probably something I haven't read before. <laughs> so I wouldn't know. <laughs> Or maybe, actually, you know what? Maybe a graphic novel. I would pick Persepolis by my grandpa's copy. I think that graphic novels, I think, have just such depth to them. And that would keep me company on a desert island. And for our last question, if you were to pick one interesting experience from your life to share with us, what would you tell us? I had this really bizarre experience many years ago when I was in university. I, I, I went to university in a very uh, small, a small city in the state of Virginia in the U.S. It wasn't a very diverse city at the, at the time. I used to go to this bookstore cafe. I ran into this woman there, or this woman approached me rather, and she kind of immediately knew, like she was she was Indonesian, and she immediately knew that I was from out of town and that I was also Southeast Asian. Like she kind of picked it, and you know we we sort of started chatting with each other. It was a small city, so I guess it was expected that we kind of bumped into each other two or three more times in that bookstore cafe. But then we also ran into each other like once outside of that. And that was a little bit weird as well. Like that was that was different. And I remember like every time we saw each other, it was kind of like, oh, hey, you again. Oh, you know, oh, I'm so lucky I'm meeting you again. And it was kind of a, a funny thing. A couple of years later, I, like, I left the U.S. already. And then I came back to the U.S. for a friend's wedding. An entire different state in an entirely different city. And I was waiting for a bus, and it's quite quite far from that original place. I was waiting for a bus, and I heard this like wild cackling laughter, and I was like, "What is going on?" And I turned around and I saw that woman. She just started approaching me like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! You're here too!" And it was just the most bizarre thing. There was there was no reason that the two of us kept kind of coincidentally bumping into each other and meeting each other. I mean, in a small city, like that was one one thing that was already kind of weirdly coincidental, but. In all of the United States, somehow we both found each other again. It was not like we were long lost lovers. It was not like we were very <laughs> I don't actually remember much about her. She was lovely. But it wasn't like we had this instant connection. The thing that connected us was that we couldn't shake each other for some reason. And I, yeah, I, I think about that quite a bit when I think about things <laughs> or, or the ways that people connect to each other in, in writing. Sometimes you read something and you think about, or, or you're writing something you're thinking about, you know, how do I make these two people meet in a way that's not going to be too convenient. And you think about real life. <laughs> Things like that happen all the time. You can't explain them. And they're not particularly magical. Like, it's not like we became the best of friends. It's just, you yeah. just kept oh, you, you again. <laughs> to me, this sounds like a plot line of a horror mystery movie in some way. Yeah. Yeah, like it wasn't like she was creepy. It wasn't like you know, like 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 some some major thing happened in my life because like the only thing was that we just kept running into each other, and it was really. I think we developed the story though. Like you just start with that, and you know, yeah, yeah, no, some a narrative stalker kind of stuff. And <laughs> yeah, and it didn't feel it felt a bit stalkerish, but of course it wasn't because she was as surprised to see me as I was to see her. I mean, it was very very bizarre. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I would watch that show for sure. Okay. <laughs> I'll watch it. <laughs>
So thank you very much for answering my 11 questions. And I now want to talk about your books. So we already talked a little bit about erotic stories, which is the first book I read of yours. I just loved the book, not just because it was so controversial, but also I felt it was funny and deep at the same time, which is like a very good mix. And you raised so many important topics in that. Going back to the title, I think that was the hook for me as well. Like when I saw the title, I was like, oh, I have to read what's in this book. I, I didn't even read the synopsis or anything. I just went by the title. I'm curious if you picked the title or was it your publisher? Yeah, I picked it. I'm not very good at writing titles usually. I think I've had to have, I've had to have help with a number of my titles. So like in my first novel, Inheritance, the publishers picked that. Uh, Sugarbread was my own title. And Sugar Sisters, yeah, the publishers had to, to, to help me out with that as well. But I got it close to PW Widows. Like when the concept of the novel came to me, the title came to me as well. And I just thought that, yeah, that's absolutely what I want to call it. There was a publisher who was interested in the book who wanted one of the conditions was they wanted to change the title to like the secret lives of Punjabi widows, but um, yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, although you say that because it, it obviously attracted you, but there's a whole population of readers who were also quite turned off by that title. So we found out later in kind of the you know marketing demographic kind of thing that there were actually yeah, although we kind of drew in. Yeah, number of readers. There are also readers, um, and there are also retailers who are a little bit cautious about it and a bit apprehensive about it and just want to um, stop it. Yeah, I, I can see that. There might be people who probably don't want to hold a book in public, which says that word on it, right? The ebook yeah. did really well because of that, because people <laughs> were like, oh, I'll set that one on my Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two copies of paper books. That's how much I love it. <laughs> yeah, I I bought one just when it came out. Then I then there was a giveaway on Instagram. I was like, I I'm gonna enter still because <laughs> I to have another copy. <laughs> I was reading somewhere that that book is also being turned into like a series or a movie. Is that true? Awesome. Yeah, feature film. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's quite a long process, but we've done we've got a, a pretty good grip now. Um, and so I think they're, they're looking to, they, 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 they've got a, a list of directors that they're looking to approach, and so that's the, kind of the next step. Yeah. Do you know cast yet? No, casting is something that comes up in much, much later. Yeah. yeah. But I, I will, I will have input in it. My, my priority to me, like, I mean, I've said this in a lot of interviews, but my, my priority is that lots of new talent gets kind of the exposure to the things that I write. So, so when things that I write get adapted into, Films for me, it's important that you know it then kind of attracts people who otherwise wouldn't have opportunities um, in film or in TV because there's so little representation. Yeah, I feel like it's just Dev Patel in everything. Yeah, (laughs) as good as he is, I feel like I need to see someone else. Yeah, exactly. So what I hope to do with my work, if it does get adapted into onto the screen, is to create more careers. That's a big goal of mine. I also read your book, Shadow Sisters. And I remember this one scene very vividly where I think it was a middle sister who goes to a tailor and she wants a top that's probably the low cut. I might be like misremembering a few things, but the tailor would not do that. Reading that, I was like, this is so accurate because I grew up in India and I remember that there was a trend at one point, a short kurti with patiala salwar. 
and the tailors yeah. just would not do it because they're like, oh, this is too short. And I'm like, no skin is showing, first of all. Like, there should not be any problem. But the tailors would That's refuse. Also, why they have the moral authority? Like, yeah. when you say it's made, yeah, it's amazing. My, my friends, my friends in India, or my friends of mine from the diaspora who went, who would go back for holidays, would come back being like, <laughs> like this dress. I, I can't be young to make this dress and it's like the head is like so much further along you know the the, the calf than it needs to be like I wanted to be above the knee and they just yeah, they, they were the monitors of how long it has to be otherwise it would not look good or you would tell them like this like if you want like a low cut on the back they yeah. would not do it They or they would just change it afterwards like if you let's say told them 10 inches they would do 8 inches or something <laughs> do you think it's because they felt that it reflect poorly on them like if you go out with the thing with the low cut back and then people are like oh where did you get that from and you say oh, i feel like thing. more than that it could be like all these young girls are demanding things and their moms are gonna come yell at us like why did yeah. you create this i think because people would not know there's no tag on like who the brand yeah, yeah. brand is right i think it's more like they don't trust young girls to make decisions nobody yeah. does so they're like the mother is not here so this yeah, is yeah. this is not right <laughs> And they're like, yeah, and they're like, I, I can be the final gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah, so annoying. And I think that is one thing from that book that I don't think I will ever forget because I read this. I was like, yes, somebody <laughs> knows the meaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not an experience that I personally had, but I, when I heard about it, I was like, that sounds about right. That sounds like, um, yeah. I mean, my mother used to sell things for me sometimes. And yeah, no matter how, yeah, I, the, the, the neck would <laughs> Like a, a V-neck would become a turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, I wore those suits with their like, collars here. Like, yeah. too prudish. <laughs> I'm yet to read your other books, but I'm curious if you're working on any new book right now. Like, any pandemic baby coming away. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> it's kind of a pandemic baby, although I started it at the start of 2019, which I'm grateful for because I think that pandemic is very hard in June. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it? There was all this time. There all this yeah, time. that's what I thought initially. Like when we stopped going to office, I was like, oh wow, I have two extra hours. But I yeah. feel like I, I just scroll Instagram now. I don't do anything <laughs> else. That's it. I have no capacity. Yeah, my attention span is very short during the pandemic. No, but I, I, yeah, I'm putting the finishing touches on a novel that will come out in July 2022. It's set in Singapore and it's about three uh, domestic workers who work together to prove the innocence of another domestic worker who's been accused of murder. So it's got kind of the same, a bit of a similar vibe to erotic stories with Punjabi Widows, where you've got these women who are kind of invisible in society um, and there's kind of a dark comedy aspect to it. Maybe it's a little bit darker with <laughs> the murder. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. 22 is too far. <laughs> But thank you again, Bali, for being my guest today. It was also so great talking to you. Yeah, good talking to you too. Thanks for your question. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. Hope you enjoyed getting to know our guest as much as I did. You can also watch a video version of this conversation on 11 Questions YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you are listening. And if you like this episode, please leave a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at 11QuestionsPod for more videos and updates. And I'll be back next week with a new guest. Bye!